Welcome to the EO Podcast, where we amplify and celebrate all forms of employee ownership. Hello, my friends. Thank you for listening. My name is Brett Kiesling, and as it says on my business cards, I'm a passionate advocate for employee ownership. In today's episode, we're joined by Tom Roback, who's the CEO of Blue Ridge ESOP Associates. He's going to talk about some of the things plan administrators are looking at during the national pandemic. This continues podcast coverage that we've had the last few weeks, including podcasts with Mark Kassau addressing legal issues, Rob Hilton, valuation questions, and we've done some uh, mini-casts on company culture during crisis, etc., you can find all of those episodes on theesoppodcast.com. But today we focus with Tom Roback on plan administration. You'll hear us discuss plan changes, including distributions under the CARES Act, which is the federal stimulus package, repurchase obligations and how they might change during the uh, time of the pandemic, interim valuations, partial plan terminations, and what that can entail, and plan amendments. The final part of our conversation is all about big changes that have occurred recently at Blue Ridge ESOP Associates. If you're a regular listener to our ESOP minicast, last Friday, episode number 76, we actually included this part of the conversation with Tom. With that, I hope you enjoy my conversation with Tom Robeck. Tom, as you're looking at third-party administration right now, I would assume uh, in the pandemic, a lot of companies are going through the same thing, but on a company-by-company basis, when there's not a national crisis, some companies have issues, others do not. So in other words, you're used to applying the factual realities of any company with with their plan administration. Am I right? That's right, Brett. You know, there's definitely some things that that we're thinking of and, you know, trying to look around corners. um, of what's to come this year, absolutely. So we've had They're... conversations on podcasts with, uh, and I know you know them uh, uh, very well as I do, uh, Mark Casso was uh, looking at some of the legal aspects that, that he's involved in right now, and Rob Hilton with some of the uh, uh, aspects that valuators are going to be concerned in. On the third-party administration, and again, it's just always your job to take the plan, interpret it, and apply it properly. So, you know, they've talked about what their disciplines are looking at. Are there anything early on that's that's the focus of you and your team, you know, as it relates to the uh, pandemic? Yes, Brett. You, Brett you, we've had some meetings already, and, and we are going to be doing a webcast for our clients on uh, April 7th at 2 o'clock to really cover this in detail. But, you know, certainly uh, – you know, the House and Senate, um, you know, them passing the, the CARES Act, Coronavirus Aid, Relief, and Economic Security Act, um, you know, certainly will help our clients. So we're, we're, we're glad to see that um, liberalized uh, distribution rules for those that are impacted, either sick or a family member sick or, you know, furloughed or laid off. Um, you know, the loans, participant loans have been liberalized temporarily, uh, required minimum distributions temporarily waived this year. And, um, you know, so we are we're certainly expecting some of our clients to have um, staff reductions. Um, you know, there's a couple of points, you know, in some of the compliance testing specifically, you know, we might see a few more failed coverage tests 
from our clients um, in these tests. You know, it's really kind of a ratio of a ratio. Um, you know, the, the nine highly. Tom, sorry to interrupt you. I think on uh, when Mark Casso was on, he was talking about a concern of the 409P testing. Is that some of the testing that you're talking about as well? Yes, that's another particular compliance test for S Corporation ESOP. So we're certainly certainly looking at that uh, closely, especially our, our smaller S Corp clients, and and uh, you know making sure that uh, uh, they're going to be okay because that's something there's really no option to fail that one. So that's at the top of our list. So let's go back for just a moment, and maybe we'll cover some of the compliance testing. But when you talked about the CARES Act, if, if I heard you correctly, I think you said that on the one hand, uh, minimum distributions uh, may be waived. And on the other hand, it sounded like there's going to be a liberalization that, that people would be able, or companies would be able to distribute to at least some of their employee owners. Uh, is both of that going on? On the one hand, minimum is being waived, and could you speak a little bit more about what you know about, you know, those different approaches? Absolutely. So it's kind of self-certification by the participant. We don't need to verify that they're telling us the truth on the form, but they're certifying that that really um, it's a penalty-free distribution of up to $100,000 for qualified coronavirus-related reasons, and and those reasons are, you know, if that particular person had COVID-19, has COVID-19, or or actually SARS also, um, and or if they have, you know, experienced, you know, or, or somebody in their household has um, unable to work due to a, you know, lack of child care, um, you know, so it's it's pretty it's pretty open ended. Also, certainly if they're furloughed or, or laid off, or you know, a reduction in their hours. So, so um, it's it's more favorable than the traditional hardship rules for retirement plans. For the uh, folks who would be looking at this, I'm assuming mm-hmm. they can't borrow what isn't already in their account, right? Okay, and that's another liberalization on the loans. So. They're going to allow. Traditionally, you know, this rule was a a um, a fifty thousand dollar fifty percent rule, um, which it will revert back to uh, after you know probably in the fall. But um, currently, they can uh, you know qualified participants can take loans up to the lesser of a hundred percent of their vested account balance or a hundred thousand dollars. And so it basically doubled that that limit and give give people more um, more leeway there and 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 uh, so that's a that's a nice nice thing also. And and that obviously differs. You're you're more likely to have a hundred thousand in your account if the ESOP is more mature. If you know you've been there a while, higher earner, that kind of thing. For someone whose ESOP yeah. is been and around four primarily. Years. Brett, it's primarily for 401k plans. It's kind of rare on the on the ESOPs to allow the loans, but but um, for we do 401k administration too. So we're it's it's really more focused on the on the 401k loans for participants. The company, whether 401k or ESOP, would need to have the funds available to make the loans. That's right. That's right. So that's a good point, Brett, because you know we will see obviously. CFOs and others of our clients really thinking about that, you know, hey, are we going to see a, a rush on the bank here? You know, are we going to see 
more distributions, more diversifications, elections, people pulling the trigger if they're, you know, 10 years of participation and 55 or over. You know, certainly kind of gets into the whole repurchase obligation forecasting. I think we'll, we may see an uptick in that this year. Honestly, we've seen a lot through ESOP Horizon and Kevin Rush has done a great job with our practice there for repurchase obligation forecasting. We've seen a lot of growth over the last couple of years, some of it due to the, you know, <laughs> the, the Tax Act of 17 with, you know, some of these S-Corps being valued as C-Corps and not getting the full cash benefit. And then for for other reasons, they're keeping the, you know, doing the prudent thing, keeping their eye on the ball there. But I think we will see another another reason for our our clients and others to to look you know, take a take a take a look under the hood, either by themselves or using somebody else to help them with that. Is the pandemic likely to modify the existing repurchase obligation study they've done, or is it possible that if the pandemic continues for a few more months or that kind of thing, will it kind of render the old repurchase obligation moot? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we'll see a lot of that. Um, you know, with the values um, and just a lot of strategies surrounding that. So I, I think especially, you know, after these valuations come in and, you know, we'll probably see a lot of activity and probably be able to give you a, a better answer. But I, I definitely think it's going to be a year of change um, in that area. And, um, you know, certainly on average, I'd say traditionally we see ESOP companies will do a repurchase study every two or three years. You know, I think that's kind of a prudent thing to do, um, but uh, I think we'll see a lot of them uh, doing doing a study this year. In the ESOP space, ESOPs are such a a specific creature, if you will, of the federal government that there are plenty of companies that do uh, third-party administration, and they do it in and outside of ESOP world. So, for example, Blue Ridge does 401ks. But you're also very well known in the ESOP space as one of the ESOP leaders. I would be very uncomfortable in this time of uncertainty if someone's third-party administrator isn't really ESOP savvy. Is that a reasonable fear for me to have? I think so, Brett. I mean, there's really no ESOP administration is there's no in off-the-shelf industry ESOP administration software. So, you know, we, we were not the only ones, um, you know, realized that many, many years ago, decades ago, said, hey, we got to build our own web-based software that's for ESOP. So, yeah, doing, doing, um, doing ESOP administration on a 401k, um, software and, you know, manually with spreadsheets is, is just not, not a good idea. I had a few clients that would do stuff on back of envelopes or on spreadsheets, and generally it was exactly that. It was just kind of uh, it was helpful and that sort of thing. I only met one person who really had had gotten it down right, and partly it's not just you know an accounting function. There are all kinds of rules, and you have to know how to apply the rules, right? Exactly. Yeah, I know. Several years ago, we took over from a you know they did a lot of four hundred one k administration, a lot more than us, but not much ESOP administration, and sure enough, they were doing, you know, tracking diversification and other things on a spreadsheet, and, you know, they missed those, and so it was, you know, unintended consequence, unfortunate for the client, or, you know, they we were able to clean everything up, but those are the kind of things that, you you know, you might want to consider. So, 
How about if you don't mind, and you mentioned uh, uh, Kevin at your firm uh, actually does a lot with your software, but if you don't mind, why don't you explain the software that, that companies could use if, you know, they were your client? And, and again, it's not you're not the only folks who have software like this, but yours is top-notch. Do you mind explaining uh, uh, not just what the software does, but, you know, how the company can use it and how it helps them? Sure. So, as far as our client-facing software, we have a Mo-ready tool called ESOP Connection. It's it's more uh, has a has a uh, lot of great messaging features that some of our clients have been using in this in this in these times of the pandemic very easily. It helps clients get the most out of their ESOP. You know, Mo-ready over 30 different devices, electronic distribution and diversification processing, and a lot of other flexible um, functionality there. We've got um, ESOP Horizon, which I'd, I'd mentioned, is our repurse obligation forecasting. Really, that's real software built by Kevin Rush, and, and uh, you know, it's really a 20-year uh, study. They run different run different scenarios for you. Some really good conversations with clients help them get a handle on their benefit levels. Good reporting, you know, for you know for uh, all parties involved, management, the board, ESOP trustee, along those lines. And then our, our software that we use, it's not client-facing, it's called Blue Magic. So we, we've we uh, had that. Um, I joined in 2004. We had, we had uh, um, started building Blue Magic the year in really 2003, and uh, it's a lot better than it was then, but uh, it just helps us deliver more timely and accurate work for our, for our clients. So the blue magic is the internal use of the software, and then uh, mm-hmm. uh, the connections and whatnot uh, clients would actually have access to. Exactly. Have you had from some of your clients questions pop up? I know, again, on the legal and the valuation side, uh, we had discussions on the podcast about interim valuations, for example, and Mark Casa, from the legal perspective, discussed changes, potential changes to a plan. Uh, are you having those conversations yet uh, with your clients, or is it a little bit too soon? Yes, certainly our professionals are having those conversations uh, with clients. Um, they're thinking about that. Um, I think for some of them it's a no-brainer to do it. You know, it's just, you know, save the ESOP a, a lot of a lot of money, you know, there. Um, so I think a lot will do it. Not everybody will. I think Honestly, I think the bigger companies with a lot of distribution money will be more likely to do it. Um, maybe some smaller companies, if it's just uh, you know a handful of distributions, they might not want to pay the extra expense to have another valuation. And, um, but we'll we'll see. But we're ready, and certainly uh, you know are are having conversations with our clients. From the third-party administration, when it's time for you folks to do the statements and send the statements out to the participants, whether it's off of an interim valuation or just the previous end-of-year valuation, that doesn't make any difference to you, right? That's just how you process whatever information you're given. Pretty much, Brad. There will be a little bit of extra work on our end, but we're going to, believe me, we're not trying to, to gouge anybody in this in this time. Um, so we we may have to charge a little bit for our time, but it should should be very minimal um, for the extra time involved. And it really would just be for the extra time that duplicate work has been created. It's not, exactly. you know, uh, yeah. you guys not, aren't looking to... We're not doubling uh, fees or anything like that. No, 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 no. One of the things that Mark Hansau had 
discussed, and he was speaking as an ESOP lawyer, of which you and I are not. From his perspective, uh, he's indicated that he doesn't believe plans can be changed retroactively. That, and, and I understand it's a hot uh, topic in uh, ESOP world right now, but there are questions as to whether or not if the plan you know, was in place prior to the pandemic that, that of whether companies can make uh, retroactive changes or whether they have to be prospective moving forward. Do you or Blue Ridge have any opinion on that, or is that for the company and their lawyers to work out? What's your view on changing a plan retroactively? Yeah, I think we're going to see some uh, counterpoints to that in the legal world, but but uh, I think Mark's got a good point. He's just he's a smart guy, so you know we'll do as we're told on that, and and uh, you know so I think that that would will be interesting. Anytime anybody has a legal perspective, there are going to be others who have that opposite perspective. That's the way it works, and there's nothing wrong with that. Certainly, companies who are listening should be working through with their own counsel uh, and you know valuation advisors to come up with this decision. You folks are really in a optimum position just in the sense that you don't have to get into that legal tussle. You can just follow instructions from your clients, I imagine. Yeah, we'll do as told. <laughs> <laughs> which sometimes is a safe way to be. Tom, are there other things you're looking at as you've been uh, 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 considering this, other things that you want to put on our radar? Yeah, certainly partial plan terminations. You know, back in the, the recession, back 12 years ago, you know, we, we did see some partial plan terminations, even though I hope this, you know, this, uh, time is going to be somewhat similar to that time in that there were ESOP companies that had four times less layoffs than their peers, and so I think they will be strong, stronger than their their peers. But you know, partial plan terminations, uh, it really hasn't been a topic, when, you know, all these in, in the good times, but um, it's inevitable. You know, it's really a, a rule that um, um, where if there's a production of 20% or more. Of participants in a plan, it's considered a partial plan termination. <clears throat> you know, so it's really the IRS has said that it's you know it's um, a turnover rate during an applicable period. Um, but there is a little bit of wiggle room there. I guess you would want to you could you could you could say uh, there. Um, you know that you know as far as the definition, but it's essentially uh, defined as as um, a ratio of the number of participating employees who had a um, an employer initiated severance from a point during the plan year divided by the the total sum of all participating employees at the start of the year plus any employees that became participants during the plan year. So it'll be interesting to see, and it's kind of case by case. We'll you know certainly we're that's our job to to work with our clients and. And, and define that, um, and uh, you know we can work with the attorneys too to, to double check um, on that too with the, with the client if they if they would like that. But it's it's uh, it will be uh, you know something that's definitely on our radar, um, and you know we've had a rash of all these amendments, the Secure Act uh, at the end of the year. You know, we've seen liberalization on safe harbor contributions. We've historically had plenty of, of clients who actually fund their matching contributions within the ESOP. 
with an annual share release. So we, we're keeping an eye on that. Um, just impacts with all the, you know, all the, um, you know, the headcount changes and and different uh, uh, particulars with this pandemic. As companies are now looking, and let's say you've got a company with a hundred employees. There are certain data points in terms of the number of employees you talked about, the ratios, number of participants on at the beginning of the year, how many you added, how many you're letting go. Companies who are looking at layoffs or furloughs would do well to consider the testing and the partial plan termination in making these decisions. Am I right? Because right. maybe if That's you right. don't terminate two or three yeah. people, you will have this problem. Exactly. No, that's a good point, Brett. You know, certainly, and I, I didn't mention this, but it, it really has to do with ultimately the company will have to vest these people, fully vest them. So, so you know, there's some implications there for repurchase obligations, for, you know, cash flow, for, for, for a lot of different things there. And, you know, what I've seen out there is, is really how they define the the employer, the plan sponsors initiated severances is really uh, any any severance from employment other than death, disability, or normal retirement. Um, you know, it includes severance outside of the employer's control, such as layoffs as a result of the COVID epidemic. So it's it's um, I have heard different things from different attorneys, you know, on this, and there's actually the different the period of time there is is not necessarily it doesn't have to be like a calendar period, so even they could kind of look back even to to part of last year um, and making these definitions. So there's a little bit of play with it, and I know we were you know involved in some of those gymnastics back years ago, and we'll be involved again and consultative with our clients along those lines. If companies are uh, laying people off or, or calling it fur- furloughs, whatever they might call it. And everything works out and everybody's back in a month or two back at their jobs. That's a completely different scenario than if the company says, Hey, we're going to furlough you or lay you off. We think you're going to be back in a month or two, but then the jobs are terminated. So the moment exactly. the jobs are terminated, yeah. I imagine it creates a different scenario than just sending people home. Yeah. If they come back, it's generally a non-issue. Um, now the interesting thing, and this is kind of one of those vague, Depends who you ask, which attorney you ask, but you know there will be some employees that are the company wants to have them come back. Let's say they're they're laid off now, and then they they ask to have them come back in the summer or the fall, and the employee has already gotten another job and they don't come back. So there's there's different there's there's um, you know certainly different different uh, opinions on that, but honestly, it's kind of liberal, and I think sometimes you know the companies we can. We can, uh, you know, companies can kind of look at it and see the implications of, of, you know, how they look at things differently. So, participants themselves, are there any steps that you think they should take, or just see how things play out with their companies? Yeah, good question, Brett. You know, I think, um, wow, you know, we we um, we don't talk to the participants that much, and obviously it's early in the game here, but but. Um, you know, I think there's going to be a lot of wide range of different thoughts along these lines. Um, generally, obviously, if you can if you can keep the money in your retirement plans, you know, in your 401k, that's just going to be a good a good thing no matter what. I know that they're being forgiving with penalties, and you know, the taxes can be 
spread out over three years. But if you can, if you can hold on and budget and hold on, you know, for the, for the uh, short term and not do anything drastic, that's generally a, I think a good tip. As this uh, just continues to play out and see where it goes. And by the way, Tom should probably point out that uh, uh, the danger to the uh, partial plan termination if uh, layoffs and that sort of thing aren't handled appropriately according to the government, but the uh, the downside, the penalty is significant tax repercussions, right? If if a plan yeah. is partially yeah. terminated. Exactly. Yeah, I think um, you know some will, some participants are going to pay close attention, you know, to the to to this and really um, maybe take advantage of the situation. Um, I, I know we've talked to some of our clients with the, you know, some of our smaller clients. Um, it's like free money with this loan as far as the people. I mean, it's that's a it's kind of a no-brainer for some of them. So some of these changes are are definitely worth reading um, for. CFOs and other executives, and certainly the participants. Um, you know, I think of ESOP companies. You know, I think generally do a better job communicating with their employees, and hopefully they will. Uh, you know, there's certainly a lot of resources out there now, and um, webcasts and podcasts and things like that. So I think um, hopefully they'll do a good job, and participants will will come out okay along these lines. I will say I have heard I talked communicate with a, a litigator um this morning uh she's very well known and active in the ESOP world uh and she said things haven't slowed down with the DOL they're still it's amazing there's 3 million people out of work but they're still kind of being a little bit of a nuisance nuisance to some of the ESOP companies but but um I thought that was that was interesting it it certainly is an interesting way for the DOL to prioritize their time at this point in time. I'll put it that way. You know, that, that with everything going on and with companies having serious issues of, of trying to decide how to survive, you would think that the DOL could pause for a little bit. Obviously, the big concern uh, in talking with some of the lawyers and valuation advisors and trustees that I've been talking with has been, this is a no-win situation for the advisors. In other words, everybody's going to go through right now, make as best-case decisions as they possibly can, and in three or four years, the DOL is going to get to decide what was right or what was wrong in 2020 perfect hindsight without the pressure of, of the reality going on. So I'm sorry to hear that the DOL may be still continuing very strongly. Uh, might be a nice time for those folks to uh, catch their breath, but I say that very respectfully. Uh, and the DOL's done a lot of good in, in ESOP world as well, cleaning up you yeah, know, a lot of problems. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Tom, I saw some very exciting news. We're recording this April 2nd, and last week I got an email um, Blue Ridge ESOP Associates, you folks have a new strategic partner, don't you? We do. Thanks for noticing that, Brad. It's exciting. Um, Marie Minton and Greg Washburn have, have owned the firm since 2003. Uh, they've taught us well, but, um, you know, ha- haven't been super involved lately. Our management team has been running things for many years. Um, but now we've got additional capital. Uh, Levine Leichman um, has made a major investment there. Um, now, we'll say that Marie and Greg are still rolled over some of their stock. They're still bullish in our future there and, and still still uh, involved uh, here 
to, to oversee things, but now we've got additional capital to keep up with the technology curve, um, and who knows, maybe even try to buy an, an ESOP book of business out there um, uh, from a competitor. It sounds very exciting, Tom, and for people who have been following in the last, I'll say, 18 months, there's actually been consolidation among third-party administrators, I think, generally, but but we've seen it a lot in ESOP world. So it sounds to me like this is a great way to make sure that, that Blue Ridge stays independent and strong moving into the future. Exactly. I think a lot of our employees were excited about it, and it's really business as usual for us. You know, I know we, we uh, LLCP is is uh, obviously interested in our success going forward, but they understand that we've done a good job since 1988 growing the business, uh, and um, they don't want to they don't want to stunt that. And they uh, so we're it's a good 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 outcome. And Tom, just tell us for a moment how many colleagues do you have? You know a little bit about your uh, client. You know what's an ideal client for you? Just tell us just a little bit about Blue Ridge. Thanks, Brett. So. So we are uh, a very personalized approach. We have 65 employees, and and um, we're doing great in this pandemic because most of our employees are remote. They're satellite and have been remote for many, many years. So no, no, uh, not missing a beat there. In fact, our we certainly made precautions in our Charlottesville office, but but uh, we have over 700 clients, and and um, we think we've got the best custom technology. There and it's uh, it's really been helpful uh, for us and you know, we care about our clients. We want to want to be consultative for them and we're typically the first phone call from our clients with uh, a question on their ESOP or 401k. Well, Tom, I've known you now probably for about ten years, maybe a little bit longer. You have not just a really talented team. But you're actually good people, and and I mean this very sincerely. You're 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 friendly, you're polite, uh, and to me, if you have the opportunity to work with uh, one of two teams, and they're both talented, and you guys are very good at what you do, and other companies are, but you really bring a personalized service. You take care of very important uh, work, and and you do it in just very personable ways. So I want to. Just uh, compliment you and your colleagues at Blue Ridge. ESOP space is very lucky to have you in it. Right back at you, Brett. Yeah, we're, <laughs> we're the leader in professional ESOP administration, so we, we're proud. Anything else on your plate, Tom, that, that, that folks would want to have on their radar? No, I just appreciate uh, you including me on this, Brett, and uh, appreciate the visibility you give to the uh, employee ownership world. And that will bring this episode to a close. I really appreciate Tom Roback for coming on and sharing his views with us. He and his team at Blue Ridge ESOP Associates really are very talented and good people to work with. Meanwhile, as we all navigate through these unprecedented times, please make sure you take care of yourself, and if you're able, do something kind for someone around you. I'm Brett Kiesling. Have a good day. We'd love to hear from you. To contact us, find us on Facebook at Kesop LLC and on Twitter at Aesop Podcast. To reach Brett with one T, email brett at kesop.com, on LinkedIn at Brett Kiesling, and most actively on Twitter at EO underscore Brett. Again, that's one T. This podcast has been produced by the Kesop Group. Technical assistance provided by Third Circle Inc. and Bitsy Plus Design. Original music composed by Max Kiesling. 
archival podcast material edited and produced by Brian Kiesling. And I'm Vitsy McCann.